Welcome to episode 222 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever had one of those days when you feel like you're just running from one task to another and you can't step back to appreciate the big picture behind all this busyness? That's what my life has been like a lot of the time in recent months, but that started to change. The difference now is that my community is regularly reaching out to let me know how my work is positively impacting their lives. As a content creator and an educator, this is incredibly meaningful to hear and inspires me to keep putting out quality content and making myself available for pro bono Q&A sessions. Often, these notes of thanks come via email as a reply to my weekly missive. Sometimes they arrive as a note with a LinkedIn connection request from someone who attended an event where I produced and or emceed and or presented. Rarely, but incredibly, they come in the mail with a box of brownies, fudge or Starbucks gift card. For a long time, these were happenstance and unsolicited. Then I realized how much joy it gave me to tell someone what I appreciated about them. So I stopped feeling sheepish about asking for that feedback from someone else. In particular, I focused on gathering LinkedIn recommendations as these can be reposted elsewhere, but feel more legitimate because the testimonial is tied to that person publicly. I now make it a practice to ask for a LinkedIn recommendation from clients after we've worked together and to ask event participants who send me a LinkedIn request. If someone sends me a nice reply via email, I'll copy and paste that message text into a LinkedIn recommendation request to make it incredibly easy for them to follow through. I provide prompts when sending LinkedIn recommendation requests so they don't have to stare at a blank page trying to think of something clever to write. If I was a Zoom producer, I'll share these prompts. What made this Zoom event different than other online events you've attended? What did you notice I did as a Zoom producer and MC to make that possible? If I spoke at an event, I'll share these prompts. What was your favorite takeaway and how likely are you to implement it? How would you describe my presentation style and was I knowledgeable about this topic? Doing this over the years has led to my profile having 68 LinkedIn recommendations. I'm grateful because I know these carry a lot of weight as prospective clients are considering whether they want to work with me and whether I can help them. Reading through these really helps me see the big picture and to know I am having a positive impact in the world, even if I can't always see that when I'm staring at my to-do list. Your challenge for this week, draft a template to send someone when asking for a LinkedIn recommendation. This should be easy to personalize with specifics such as how you know each other, and what skill or experience you'd like them to write about in particular. Include a couple of prompts that would help them write a sentence or two. Now, send that request to 10 people this week, and then write 10 LinkedIn recommendations for people who've had a positive impact on your world. What better way to show your gratitude during the week of U.S. Thanksgiving? Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is a passion for creating and sustaining successful business cultures. She believes that by having a committed and passionate workforce, your organization will create a better world. She began her education with a BA in psychology and a pledge to deliberately learn about human behavior every day. 
She took a deep left turn and received an MBA in accounting and spent decades learning about how businesses function. With these two areas of expertise, employee engagement and culture building were a perfect fit. She's also earned the title of Certified Laughter Leader Expert by studying the research and science of laughter and humor. A research nerd, she piloted a podcast called Business the Care and spoke with over 60 C-suite leaders, including franchisers, about their effective cultures. It was these inquiries that led to her newest book titled Catalysts of Culture, How Visionary Leaders Activate the Employee Experience. Please join me in welcoming Julie Ann Sullivan. And the crowd goes wild. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Julianne, thank you so much for joining us from your home in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm so pleased that you're here. And as you know, uh, the show is about leadership and building strong networks. So how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Uh, You know, leadership has lots of parts, right? As you know, it's not just you're a leader equals just this. So I look as leaderships as seers, thinkers, explorers, and listeners. And what I mean by that is a really great leader can see aspects of a person that they may not even see themselves. And what I mean about thinker is they realize that um, they have to be open to new ideas. And what I mean about explorer is the best leaders are lifelong learners and they want that for their entire organization too. And in the real world and the new millennium we are in, it's not just learning about your job, it's everyone learning about who they are as human beings on this planet. And that is becoming more and more uh, important all the time. And listener, um, all the, C- the the great leaders that I interviewed, uh, they understand that that active listening and how to do that, that's a whole separate show, <laughs> uh, is really important to be that listener. It's the cornerstone of communication. It's not speaking, it's, it's listening. And above all, great leaders are authentic. They're real. They don't have all the answers. They know that and they're willing to express that. I say the new sexy word for leadership is vulnerability. And I say, bring it on. That's great. I love Um, it. Oh, and so you asked me when I realized that I could be a great leader. I'd have to say it was when I was elected to a school board. And that was one of the greatest experiences in my life. Because I, you work, A, you worked with a group. It wasn't like I make a decision and you do this, right? And we were very different people, all of us. Um, And I was thinking for a school district, right? So I wasn't thinking for just my little unit, whatever that unit might be. I was, I had to have a broader viewpoint. And I think leader, great leaders have to do that as well. So my experience as a school board member taught me so much and made me uh, much richer in my abilities to function in a human being in the universe. 
All right, I want to I want to tease some of this out. You gave us a lot to a lot to think about. So, uh, seekers, thinkers, uh, explorers, and learners. Oh, listeners, listeners. I was actually trying to figure out whether there was an acronym to to pull all that together. As as I was thinking, I was like, "Mm, lest. Can we add another E? Stell. It could be Stella with one L. So, we have authentic. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be great. Well, at least, least of which <laughs> they right. could be at least these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is great. So uh, thank you for giving us examples of all of that. And as you said, it's a multifaceted answer because the role of leader is not one thing. I uh, totally agree with you. I've been doing this show now for several years and I asked this question from the very start. And it's been so interesting you know, that there's rarely exactly the same answer. It's really broad and it's often positioned from where that person is in the universe and what they've experienced, both in their own leadership and how they've experienced leadership of others, um, which is why I love the second part of this question that you started diving into. Uh, how old were you when you got a chance to be on this this school board? Um, In my 40s. All right, then I'm going to ask you to dig back a, a couple of decades then. I want to know before that moment, when, you know, you started to get a, a, an inkling about leadership. And we, you know, when we were kids, we didn't call it leadership per se. <laughs> Others might have noticed that potential in us and maybe gave us opportunities or maybe we ran for an office or maybe we were just the ones who sort of organized the kids in the playground. You know, how did you Not fit me. into all of that? Well, actually, the way I got into that was there was another woman on the school board and she didn't want to run again and she wanted me to take her place. And I said, okay, but I I don't you're gonna have to get the forms filled up. I don't wanna I don't wanna do any of the nitty-gritty, but I will run for office. So um, and I had a really good friend of mine say, Are you insane? Like you get your feelings hurt all the time. How are you going to be on a school board? And my answer was, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'm going for it. So it was, it was a personal challenge yeah, for so me pr- to do this. So prior to that, had you had other opportunities before this, this, this moment to, to have a leadership role? Not really. I don't, I don't, Think I'm trying to think back because I'm when I worked, I was on a team, but I was never really a manager or a supervisor. Or mm. what, about oppor- what about people that you looked up to when you were younger? Did you have good examples of leadership in your life? Yes, my mom was the mm-hmm. best, um, just for leading her life. And I did work for some people that were just phenomenal, uh, certainly. Um, and so they were great leaders besides leaders in the world. Right. I'm, um, I've always been a reader and a searcher and a seeker. So there's been plenty of people that I want to emulate Mm -hmm. and I still do that. Yeah. So this experience in your forties, how has it transformed who you became? Like, it sounds like there's no going back for you now. Oh, absolutely. I learned, I, I learned two really uh, great characteristics that I added into my life very well. One was this listening, uh, being able to listen to somebody who had a completely 
different point of view. Um, I will tell you that on that board, every single person on the board I was on, even though we all, some had stronger agendas than others, some personal ones, we all changed our mind at least once while I was there because we listened. Mm. So that was really good. And the other was patience because anyone listening who's had anything to do with any governmental whatever, it's slow as molasses. And I've never been slow. <laughs> I've always wanted it done now, right? Uh, but that was a good lesson to learn because life doesn't move at my bullet train speed. Plus, it really helped me have better relationships because as you know, Robbie, relationships build over time. You don't, I'm sure you've had people connect with you on LinkedIn and then the next message they send you is a hard sell. And sometimes I write back and say, does this work for you? Because like, like, I don't even know you. Why would I do business with you? I'm always curious about that myself. And like, um, and yeah, I think it's a numbers game probably because those same people are probably using automated something or others. Yeah. But... So like I say, every once in a while, I just get fed up and I go, does this work for you? Yeah. It's <laughs> like uh, the old days with telemarketers calling at dinner time. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's in our LinkedIn inbox. Well, yeah. it sounds like this was a real turning point for you. And, you know, is it after this point that you started also working on your own business stuff or? Yeah, I was just saying, wow, you're psychic. I was just going to say, it really helped me be a better entrepreneur, right? Because I listened more. It wasn't about, hi, Robbie, this is what I do. It was, hi, Robbie, what do you do? And listen to how can I help you? Or maybe I know someone else who can help you being more magnanimous, I guess. Uh, in, in truly wanting to help another individual by having them connect with someone, you know, or whatever, as opposed to always putting yourself first. Um, and that patience piece, which is really necessary if you're going to be an entrepreneur, right? Because you're not going to meet somebody and then they're not going to pay you $25,000 the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. So did you have a more traditional kind of career path up to a point and then go off on your own? Yes. Uh, as you said, I started off in psychology. I made a left turn into accounting and finance and did that for many, many years. And then I didn't want to learn any more about it. <laughs> and that's when I knew I had to quit because you got to keep learning. I don't care what you do. You got to keep, there's always something to learn. Uh, and that's that's how I started being an entre entrepreneur because basically I woke up one day and say, oh, I want to be a professional speaker. And I didn't have any idea what that meant, but I knew I was good at it. So that's the direction I wanted to go in. And that journey has been, oh, my goodness, there's been so many tributaries to that river. Um, and one of the first actions I took was to join the National Speakers Association and 
you know, that set me on a path of, oh, there's a lot more here than I think. I was just going to ask you if you, if that was one of your earlier things, because I left my career at the end of 2014 and I'd already been speaking for five years Yeah. by that point. But now I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. So the next month I joined NSA and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for folks who want to learn more about the National Speakers Association. But I do think it opens your eyes to the wide range and diversity of how people approach speaking and what that could look like. You know, it doesn't have to yes. be big keynoters, which is what we visualize, but there's so many ways. Well, there's to so speak. much more. And I was just talking to a friend, another friend of mine who's in NSA the other day, and we were saying for people who only focused on keynotes, right now is a really tough time for them, where the rest of us or whatever the rest of us are that had online courses and webinars and, you know, coaching and uh, it's a little easier right now, right? Because we were already doing many different activities within our career. You know, Dory Clark, who, um, you know, I, I haven't mentioned her on the show in a while, but I feel like at one point I probably talked about her every other, every other episode. She's been a friend and a mentor of mine and at one point was my business coach. And she's been pushing me to do more and be better for more than a decade. And she's all about multiple revenue streams. In fact, her last book, Entrepreneurial You, really kind of went through 50 options. She interviewed 50 experts about their very specific, like, oh, you do masterminds? You know, tell us more about how you do that. You do courses? Right. How do you do that? And I, I think you're right. Like the, those of us that learned that lesson and I, I heeded her warning and expanded out from, from keynoting to lots of other options. Um, it has been, in, it's still challenging, but you know, we're all, we have new uh, offers, but we also kind of understand the medium of doing that. Uh, how long ago was this uh, shift into entrepreneur, like the entrepreneurial world? Uh, 11, 11 years ago. Wow. So is this related then to the downturn in the economy too? Because 2009 maybe, I don't or so. Even re- I'm trying to think what year it was. Because 2008, 2009, I've met a lot of people who started their company. Yeah, 2009, September. Yeah. So the economy was still kind of crying. I wasn't out. even thinking about that at all. Yeah. I can tell you that. Because so I had done presentations. I was a certified Toastmaster. And basically, I have a file called a fuzzy file which I fill with nice things that people write me. And, you know, in case I ever wonder why I'm doing what I'm doing, I can look in there. I never look in there, but I still put stuff in there and I know it's there. Uh, But anyway, I was looking through that file and that's when I decided, oh, I'll become a professional speaker because people like it when I speak. What's so great about what you just said, there's a couple of things. One is I think a fuzzy file is a great name for what you, you're doing. I've heard people talk about the concept. My Whenever I get a nice accolade, my wife always says, are you saving that somewhere? And I said, well, I'm going to ask them to put it on, on LinkedIn for me, <laughs> which is like not the same thing as having like a little copy and paste and I somewhere. Physical, I feel so privileged. I would say a week doesn't go by where I don't get a really nice email, which I print out old fashioned or a card or something like that. And I, I save them. That's great. Well, and I also love that you use that early on to, to understand that there was this thing you were doing that people valued, that it's hard when you're good at something, it's hard to recognize what you're good at because you're, well, you're good at it. <laughs> you don't work very hard for, you know, it's right. like a thing you're just accomplished at. And when you saw 
what people were saying in the fuzzy file, like, oh, well, then let me go further. Let me actually focus on that instead of just doing a happenstance. Can you talk a little bit about Toastmasters? I've had a lot of folks in the show who I know have dabbled in Toastmasters, but I, I haven't had a, a chance to really explain to folks listening. It's, di- it's different than NSA, and my experience is really more on the NSA side of things. So what was your experience and what drew you into a Toastmaster? Um. Well, I was living in San Diego at the time and blessing upon blessing, I ended up in the San Diego Toastmasters group, which at the time was the number one group in the country. Gift. Uh, And I did it because I liked to speak. I was uh, starting to teach at a college out there and I thought, can't hurt. And, um, anyway, I, you know, you walk in a room with a group and you're just like, yep, this is where I belong or no, this, I'm not doing this. So it was an immediate connection. And, uh, at the time, I can't tell you what Toastmasters is like now, but I'm sure this part is still there. Toastmasters helped you speak, speak in different ways use your tone differently, use your body, use stories, where compared to the National Speakers Association, which is the business of speaking, that includes your platform skills, and it includes sales, and it includes marketing, and it includes tech, et cetera, et cetera. Great distinction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was in high school, is uh, I started speaking. Uh, my earliest public um, talk was was when I was fifteen in front of a group of legislators, um, and I remember looking for a resource like you just described Toastmasters being, and I, they were around. But as a fifteen-year-old without a Google, I yes. <laughs> did not know it existed. Right. But in college, I remember looking again in college, I had, a, I had a natural sense around how to do it, but I had never been trained. And at that time, I just thought, I mean, if I had gotten access, I think, you know, for those who dedicate themselves to it, obviously you get better by doing. And what I love is that you have a, a space to keep showing up and practicing and getting also feedback and also learning how to give gentle feedback, constructive feedback. Yes. And that's an art in itself. Plus you have somebody counting your ums and ahs and uh, they give you, you have a chance to speak extemporaneously. And that's very useful. I later took improv classes, which really helped my speaking as well. So interesting that you brought up improv. I've been thinking a lot about improv since the pandemic because I've been doing a lot more emceeing. And uh, emceeing or um, I've been doing office hours that were just like an hour of Q&A. Like, throw me a question. Let's just go. And I I mean, improv has become such a big part of how I manage that. Um, So great skill to have. I've heard heard uh, professional speakers talk about improv and also stand-up comedy being the two outside-the-box ways of learning how to do your craft better. So interesting that you took some improv classes. I took two of them. They were great. They were so much fun. But work in a room or I think partly being intuitive, which I happen to be a very intuitive person, 
some of that is just who you are, but I think improv can help with that. Listening can help with that. It's one of the aspects that makes me a good coach. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So what I guess in all this was the challenging part. You have a lot of attributes, a lot of skills you've honed over the years, but as you shifted into entrepreneurship, I mean, you knew numbers, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs are not good with numbers. Don't, <laughs> don't know, don't know how to do that. Don't want to do that. But you had that skill too, which is unusual actually for yes. a content creator. So, you know, what, what kind of team did you need to amass? What was the skills that you needed to hone? Um, was there a mental ro- like a mindset sort of piece that you had to overcome? Wow. So much talk about th- me throwing out stuff. Uh, mindset is really important. I think, Right now, I'm mentoring veterans that are want to become entrepreneurs, and and I know this is true with my speaker friends as well. Um, mindset is really important in getting out of our own way and recognizing when we're getting in our own way. I'll give you a perfect example that's real. I have a book I wrote. 15 years ago, and I want to have it come out again. And I found someone finally after years to do some sketches to put with the book. And I just put the kibosh on it this week because it's just a squirrel moment. I have some other projects I, I need. I tell me I need to get done because they're this close little, you know, really, really close but I haven't gotten them done. And this is just a way to avoid. And I realize that. I mean, if I want to bring it back out, if I bring it back out at another time, it's not going to make a difference. And so I, um, so it's, it's, it's knowing that getting in our own way. And that might be getting on Facebook in the middle of the day and somebody has a video and then you watch that video and then it goes to something else thousands of squirrel moments all the time. So I would say getting out of your own way is one that's really important. And my other challenge was what do I do well? And I think this is true for everyone. And what don't I do well? And how can I let that go? Or what don't I like to do? And how can I let that go and have someone else do it? who loves to do that or who does it better. For instance, when I had my podcast, I did not edit it. I didn't want to know how to edit it. You know, I I just, I didn't even want to learn. <laughs> so I always had someone else produce it because I didn't want to take the time at all. Yeah. I think it's very important to know what you do well and what you don't. Um and, and let it go and be okay with that. Sometimes you have to try a few different people that fit in what they do and how you get along. You know, solopreneurs aren't really solopreneurs, right? You have somebody who's doing graphics for you, or you have somebody that's doing your social media, or you have somebody that's doing something else, and you have a relationship with that person, it just, they can't just do a good job. You have to listen to one another. Kind of like I, when I get my hair cut, I tell my hairdresser, I've been going to her for over 20 years. I kind of want this. 
And then I let her do her thing. Right. Because she's an expert at that. I'm not. I was just looking over my shoulder because I was I was looking for a book. And I just recently read this book that was all about getting getting to done. And <laughs> I like that. And, and I, no, it's a that subtitle. A title. It is a subtitle. Um, and what I loved about it there, he talks in there, and I was trying to think of the exact wording because there's a distinction in my mind between you thinking about relaunching or, you know, updating and then launching this book from 15 years ago versus randomly surfing Facebook. You know, on some level, the randomly searching Facebook is, you know, a time suck. But it's an oh noble obstacle, I think is what they call it. So your book being redone was a, a noble, noble obstacle. obstacle. <laughs> it and it's sounds a lot- good. It sounds worthy. Right. Exactly. And that's why I was very excited this week and patting myself on the back, if you will, that I and I wrote the person who's going to do the sketches and said, I'm going to come back to you. This is something I want to do. I'm very happy that I finally found you as the perfect person to do this. But this is just a distraction for me that I don't need right now. Yeah, I think those those noble obstacles are a lot harder to identify. And when you notice it and you take the action to push it out of the way, that is a huge win because that means you're saying yes to the other things that you really need to get done that you're like you said, you're so close, so close to, to finishing. I really appreciate also, Julianne, what you were saying about knowing what is yours and what you need to, to delegate or let go of in some other way. And um, the editing of the podcast is, is also true for me. I actually just got interviewed on a podcast that my editor is, is doing right now about how you use podcasting for marketing. And I, I found him five years ago and I wouldn't have moved forward with the project without having found the right person because I did edit one episode just for <laughs> giggles, I guess. Um, and because I wanted to kind of share an episode to let people know, like, give me some feedback. I never aired it. Um, but it was a good, a good lesson for me to really quickly say, this isn't how I want to spend my time, even if I could learn it. Um, this, is, this is really interesting. I, and I, I want to shift us over a little bit into the, the, the sort of, Obviously, the, the topic is around networking, and it feels like relationships were a big part of your success in your business as well. So when you made this shift, though, it sounds like you were coming from very different worlds to the world you, you morphed into. Did, were you able to carry over some of those relationships? Did some of those people help you? Or like, how did you make the new connections if they didn't? Um, yeah, no, my accounting world did not help me. Ex- yeah. Not really school board more because when I started speaking, I started speaking to school districts because that's where I had connections. Very cool. Uh, but not really my accounting world. Everyone always said, "Oh, you should be marketing to accountants," and I that just never worked for me. <laughs> I, don't I don't. I maybe I don't like accountants that much. I don't. <laughs> Spending that's time not there. true because I've I've worked for some wonderful uh, organizations, so I can't really say that. I don't know. I uh, yeah, that didn't really work for me. So I kind of had to start from scratch. And what I did here in Pittsburgh was I was a part of tons of different networking groups. 
and that were for all small business. So I started out there. And then at some point I grew out of those. Uh, I hung out with people in the National Speakers Association and got involved in the C-suite network. And between those two, I've made numerous quality relationships, either with those people or the people they introduced me to. Because that's how I think I got to you was through Lori Guest, right? So, yeah. So uh, when you were first getting started, though, you you sought out some more like sounds like more local to you networking opportunities and that you were physically kind of going to them. Exactly. And that's dedication. And you you made a commitment to fit that into your schedule and show and up on I a regular basis. I did a basis. lot of it. I did a lot of it. I even, I remember once I went to BNI, which is not a good fit for me, but at least I went to be able to say, okay, that's not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And some of these other ones, there's a woman in town named Beth Caldwell. She, she is the super local networker for women in business. And I probably went to her events for three or four years and made some great relationships there that continue. But then that wasn't a good fit anymore. And uh, one of my business coaches, Lois Kramer, she's the one who gave me that sentence. It's not a good fit because it doesn't, it's not personal. Beth Caldwell still runs great organization. It's just not a good fit for me right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think as you grow and adapt your work, it's important to grow and adapt your network and also keep looking back because sometimes you're surprised by who in your history ends up being a resource or an, someone who can introduce you to someone else. It sounds like the uh, the moment we started with, which was the the time you spent on the school board, ended up being a pivotal moment for this story as well because it introduced you to people outside your your sector, outside your industry and who were who were also community leaders. I mean, the, the kind of people who step up to join a school board are quality people in their own right who care deeply, right? So it, it was right. a kind of a selective, a very selective group, a, you know, self-selective group of people. And then from there, you were able to, to sort of fan out to the, all their networks and make connections. I was also uh, being on, on the school board for that school district. I was on a school board for the local tech school that was fed by and, and sponsored by all the school districts in that county. Then I met more directors and I met, there was always one superintendent on that board. She was my first client. Wow. Tech school was my first client, you know, in that group too. So, and through them, I met somebody else. And anyway, so, so it goes. You know, it reminds me of uh, the advice I've given people for years around strategic volunteering. Like, you know, just like putting yourself into opportunities where you might be giving a lot of your time, whether you get paid a little or get paid nothing, but then you're also getting connections, introductions, you're learning something. Yeah. And what I have learned is whenever I jump into any kind of volunteer organization, if I am truly doing that benevolently and not even thinking, because really at the time I was doing that, I wasn't even thinking about, ooh, I can make a connection here. 
I don't know. You get the universe can get very rewarding if you're open and to it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think that serendipity happens more frequently when you know what to look for. So, you know, as you started to need certain connections, you probably looked around and realized, Oh wait, there they are. There they are. Like (laughs) I've been doing it. And then you can be sure you have found when you do a podcast, like I did a podcast, there are so many people I know. Um, I'll just tell you a quick story. My son was having problems with General Motors. I won't go into the story. I know someone who works at General Motors because I interviewed him on my podcast and he moved their case forward. Yeah. We don't know what the outcome is yet, but supposedly it got lost and <laughs> now it's unlost because of him. Yeah. And I really, I wrote him and I said, I know you deal with talent acquisition. You have nothing to do with this, but. Yeah. You're on the inside. You're on the inside. If you can do something great, if not, I still care for you a great deal. (laughs) Well, you know, what's so interesting is that I did make a huge shift since the pandemic and, and what I speak about, um, what I'm teaching everything. And yet the people that I connected with, beforehand are all the people that sort of helped me help boost that message. And we're the first ones to sort of say, Oh, what are you doing now? That's, that's interesting. And sort of gave me even the idea that the reason I even went down this path was because I was getting inquiries about how do I, this, how do I, that, and, you know, being an entrepreneur, I thought, well, I've had five inquiries in a week that indicates, yeah, you gotta listen to your audience that indicates something <laughs> I should, instead of having five coffee chats a week, with individual people, <laughs> immediately, how do I turn this to a group thing? And yep. um, I think that I will test is really the experience of having done that for a lot of years, right? Like a lot of opportunities missed because you just don't have a history of how to take that action. And I, you know, I had spent years trying to take that action and now suddenly it was being offered to me. Um, so it's, it's very fascinating. What is your um, sort of ongoing practice? I, I always think that there's like that, in, there's a like, sort of smaller community of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with, but then there's always a second or third layers out. Maybe the people you would see annually at a conference or you work with five years ago, but th- these are the people you generally enjoyed and they enjoyed you. How do you nurture or sustain those connections? Do you have any, any practices or habits or philosophies that help you maintain those connections? I really am the queen of networking. I get great joy and contacting people, I <laughs> I would think that most of the people that I stay in contact with, I am definitely the one who's, you know, starting the ball rolling. That's, that's just me. And I have had other people tell me they count on that, right? Um, I'm a big letter card writer. Since the pandemic, I've been drawing with colored pens, my own cards, Granted, they look like a fourth grader did them, but people still appreciate it anyway, right? Uh, So I've been doing a lot of those. And um, I actually uh, just started a long celebration of my birthday. And I've sent out invitations to people to have Zoom meetings with me, people I haven't talked to in a while as... uh, I, I said, I'm, I'm using the, the birthday card. You know, I know you'd like to give me a gift. This is what I'd really like kind of thing. 
yeah, I just keep in contact. And people I've worked with in the past that I think I'll probably never work with again for whatever reason, I like them. I still keep in contact with them. My friend, Larry Sutton, we are huge fans of one another. And I like to call people not with, hey, this is what I've got going now. Do you want to buy it? I make a practice of saying, I'm just checking in. How's the world treating you this time? And and I mean that. I'm not after anything. Susan Rowan, who wrote a book about networking that came out 30 years ago, <laughs> How to Work a Room. I, you know, I know that book. She's like a godmother of the networking space is how I think of her. Also a member of NSA. She, when I interviewed her for my podcast, called those calls um, her make hay while the sun shines phone calls. And hay stands for how are you? And that she'll go for a walk. And, you know, people people forget that the device they carry around makes voice calls. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's great. It can be two minutes. I had somebody, uh, uh, Pegeen, I don't know if you know Pegeen, and, and she called me the other day and on my, uh, on my celebration post for the day, I said, Pegeen called big surprise, you know? Um, yeah, I think people really appreciate when you care. I mean, you know, I work a lot in culture and in organizations, that's what people want. They want you to care about them. What do you do in your organization that makes people feel like you care about them as a human being? Um, and uh, maybe because I live alone, I don't know. I'm bigger at it, if that's the right way to say it. I don't think I'm better than someone else for it. It's just kind of like a need of mine. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're and you you're you have the aptitude and you have the time and willingness to do it, and you've seen the reward of doing it, the, the response you get. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's fun. You know, it's fun. Do you to have find out what people are doing? So, Julianne, do you have like a way that you keep track of people, like a stack of business cards or index cards or a list, or is it really just more as it happens to like pop into your head, you take action? it's just in my head and my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the people that I interviewed, um, the people that I keep in touch with, you know, that were in my book, I just, I see something and I, I send it off to them. Hey, I was thinking about you when I saw this article. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, people who make an impression on me, uh, and it has nothing to do or with if we've ever done work together or not, or will people who've made a positive impression on me, uh, when I think about them, I let them know. You know, I had another guest on recently who said that if there, someone crosses their mind, uh, they think, well, that's nice. If someone crosses their mind again in a short amount of time, they take action to reach out to that person because, you know, it's, the universe is sort of saying like, this is the right moment to do that. And I think a lot of people ignore those intuition moments. And it seems like you, you're you listening to your own intuition and taking action from it. 
One of the things that I do every day when I go on Facebook, which is only in the afternoon, if I know somebody is having a birthday and they're in in my phone, I send them one of my, you know, emojis of me saying happy birthday, popping out of a cake. Yeah, I just. Yeah, actually, one of the things I love that you just did, I, I, I often tell people, um, if you get reminded by, let's say, someone's birthday by Facebook, but then send them a message through a text and you change yeah. the mode, that That's in itself is more personal than even a private message on Facebook would be. It's like there's gradations, you know. Oh, I would much rather, if they're in my phone, they're getting a text. Yeah. That's great. Because if my mother just wrote on my wall, I would not know my mother had actually wished me happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, at some point we have to actually do this differently. So um, certain, certain birthdays I have on my calendar and I will make them one of my four-year-old cards. Love it. You just downgraded from fourth grade to four-year-old. <laughs> oh, well, it's more like a four-year-old. <laughs> That's so good that you put it out there, though. Uh, so one of my favorite questions, we're getting to the end. This is a wrap-up okay, question. I'm ready. I'm so ready. So, Julianne, I'm so thrilled that we finally get to have this longer conversation. And, you know, assuming we will stay in touch because we're both good about that. But let's say we're it's about a year from now. And we, I, I'm like, oh, wow, it's been a year, Julianne. And I want to know in that conversation, what accomplishments are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to doing and accomplishing in the next 12 months? I'm going to get that book out <laughs> and I'm going to have my online class, uh, my online master class being seen by people all over the world. That's great. Wow. Good, good high bars to, to reach for. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. So how can people find you and follow your work? My name's Julie Ann Sullivan Ann doesn't have an E. And if you Google that, you will find me everywhere, pages and pages. Um, LinkedIn is the best place, YouTube, my phone number and emails all across my website. If you want to get in touch with me, it's really easy. Well, we'll put all the links in the show notes at onlichmoose.com. We've got your website, LinkedIn, Twitter, links to six of your books right here on Amazon. I've seen your and your and your uh, podcast links as well as, as uh, folks can learn more about what you've accomplished there. Uh, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Julianne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Robbie. It was my pleasure, really. I hope you enjoyed that entry with Julianne. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 222. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Would you be willing to write me a LinkedIn recommendation? Thank you. Send me a LinkedIn connection request linkedin.com slash in slash Robbie Samuels, or send me a note if we're already connected. Here's a recent recommendation that I received. This is from the ATD Southern Connecticut chapter, Engage Robbie as the producer for our virtual conference, Learning in the New World of Work. 
This was our first virtual conference, and Robbie was key to his success. He provided operational support, project management, and understood what needed to happen in order to avoid problems and keep everything running smoothly. He then went beyond our expectations of event planning and being a producer of the event. Robbie kept the team strategically focused on key milestones so that we understood and could plan for all of the contingencies and actions necessary for a successful conference. Finally, Robbie was very easy to work with. He communicates clearly and with an excellent touch. We always trusted that he would make the right decisions and deliver everything necessary for a successful conference. He was great. Thank you so much, Ross. This was a testimonial from Ross Tartell, PhD, conference co-organizer and past president of the Association of Talent and Development, Southern Connecticut Chapter. Such a joy working with them. If you enjoyed this episode with Julianne, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. And I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.